0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, still in verses 1 through 6. On a little short series here called Creating Christian Culture, and of course, that's the church. We spoke about humility last week. We're going to go a little further in humility because it becomes meekness, and meekness is um, an unbelievable thing. Jesus was very well known for being meek, and uh, that's kind of the direction we're going to take this morning as we ask who we are as the church who are we? And uh, I want you to be encouraged this morning. I I want you to get strength from this. I want you to see how much the victory has already been won. Though we may have the scars of the battle here, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, so does Jesus. Um, So does Jesus, and John recognized those scars that he had in the book of Revelation. So as we read this this morning, let's be encouraged by today's word. Verse 1, chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians One God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come this morning. We come from many different places. I know in this congregation setting this morning and the ones that are listening online, Some people come with hearts full of joy. Some people come forth with hearts full of sorrow this morning. Father, some have indifferent hearts. Some desperate for the spiritual nourishment that comes from your word. Only you, only you, Father, can meet the needs of all those hearts this morning. Only your word can do that. So I pray, Father, that as we go through this time together this morning, that you will speak directly to the hearts of your people, that you would help them understand what this Christian culture is about, this church life, and that further than that, that they would take up the mantle of victorious Christian living that they would shine in a dark world, that they would be salt to a rotting culture around them. Only you can do that, Father. I can't do that as their pastor. But I deliver to them you and your words. Encourage us deeply this morning. We want to live for you. Encourage us deeply because this world cuts us off at the knees In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I'm so dry this morning. I stood out in the sun yesterday and it's hard on an old guy like me, right? Praise be to God though. Um, We uh, come to Ephesians here and this starts in, as I've well documented, the imperatives of what God's calling us to do. And you see it there in verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. And I suspect that you're starting to feel a little bit of the weightiness of that. We are called to walk in a manner or live. That word walk, just exchange it. To live in a manner that's worthy to what Christ has done for us. We're to live in a manner worthy of our salvation. We're to live with mm, victorious Christian living. We're to live in this world as salt and light. We're to live among the dying with the good news of the gospel we have we we are the people who have the joy of the lord is our strength and what is that where does that come from when we fight things like death of a family member or cancer or stand at an abortion clinic or fight just the normal everyday stuff we see this month in all of our media uh, pride month and everything that goes and we see the absolute depravity all around us yet we're those people who live victoriously among that we're those people who understand in the plan of god that we have victory and we can live in victory and we create a great witness in this world you may have i read this passage this morning and it just struck me uh crown him with many crowns verse two uh says this crown him the lord of love behold his hands and side well, Why behold his hands inside? It's in his hands that he had the scars this life brought to him. In his side that the the spear had purest, right? He had the scars of this life, rich wounds, it says, yet visible above, that though in beauty glorified. Man, that grabbed me this morning. I didn't anticipate that. But that's exactly where I was heading is that in this life, Though we have wounds from different things we've gone through, just like Christ, we're fighting through this life with faith and living victoriously over this life. And we may bear the scars of that, but those scars, those wounds, and our faith one day will be glorified in heaven. And we have that victory. And I believe, beloved brothers and sisters, this morning... That is the key to living a victorious Christian life here, is understanding how much that victory is ours. Because we know the hurt, we're very familiar with it, we need to remind ourselves of the good. So Paul starts out this passage, and you've got to go back to one. What Paul is wanting, what God is instituting, is the unity that we will have as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a unity that's radical, It can't be torn apart. It can't be taken from us. If you're truly a son or a daughter of the Most High God, you will not be separated. It is a unity that is born in Christ. If you just turn back momentarily with me to the... I'm just going to throw my notes away, I think, here this morning. In the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, we see that we are those who are in Christ. Now, he's placed us in Christ because this is where that radical unity starts. Verse 3, chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him. Do you see that? We're in Christ. As believers, we're literally in Christ, a part of Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us, verse 5, for adoption to himself. That was... We become part of his family. That's another level and a layer on this, that we become heirs of everything that Christ has given us, heirs of everything that Christ has won. All those heavenly blessed, we don't earn them. They are given to us because of the work of Christ, okay? We're heirs. We're adopted into the family. Now, adoption in my family means something very special, obviously. It, it, it becomes a legal contract, and it's inseparable, It was in Roman culture. Paul understood this language. We're adopted into that family and made heirs of everything that Christ has earned on our behalf. Six, this is to the praise of His glorious grace. That is that we could not have earned it. It's grace. It's by definition unmerited favor of the Almighty God in heaven. This is what He's doing for His church because we're the bride of Christ. We receive everything that the Lord's bride should receive. It is ours. No one can take that away from you. Rejoice in that this morning. No one can take that away from you. What he has blessed us in the beloved. We're in the beloved son. We're part of that. And Jesus would say in John chapter 17, he prays to God, to father. He says, I want them to be one, even as we are one, father, that they would be perfectly one in us. That's a radical unity. You can't do anything to separate that. Do you understand that? You can't falter or fall from that. In him, this is all in Christ, right? We've been unified with Christ. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And it's according to the riches of grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us, The mystery of his will. And here is this great ingathering of those who are unified in Christ. This is what God is doing. He's bringing together, and we'll go to chapter 3 here just momentarily. He's bringing together all those who are Christ, who are in Christ. He's unifying us. We come together on Sunday morning, but there's a greater bringing together of all of us as the church Catholic, as the church all over the world. We will all be brought together, and there's nothing that can stop God's will or purpose here. That Look at verse 9. He's making known to us the mystery of his will, and this is his purpose that he set forth in Christ. This is the whole reason Christ would come. That this plan would be planned before the foundation of the world that Jesus would come at a certain time about 2,000 years ago and die when spare with His blood all those who would believe and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can... Look, verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time, that's what I just told you, to do what? To unify all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. Beloved, that's the church. Right? This is an amazing statement that Paul is making. If you go to chapter 3 and let me just remind you beginning at verse 9 that he preached Paul said I preached the gospel and it brought to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church beloved the manifold wisdom of God might be now might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places god is making known his manifold wisdom in what he's doing through us as we are unifying so you jump ahead to chapter four and you wonder guys how i have trouble reading sometime look at my bible <laughs> sometimes i cover up the things in my bible You get into chapter 4, and you're called to walk in a manner worthy of that. And we talked about that, and we talked at the beginning of that. begins, as Paul says there in verse 2, "...with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace." Well, I'm still talking about the more general things here, unity and gentleness. So I want to talk a little bit further, just a little bit further, bear with me, as I talk just a little bit more about that humility. Because that is the key ingredient, and it grows into something called meekness. Now, I want you to tie meekness to Jesus. Jesus, Meekness is not weakness. Men, listen to me. This is not you bring out your feminine side to be meek. Meekness is great power under control. The the Greek term meekness uh, looks kind of towards a wild animal that's been tamed. Meekness is not something to fear from or to walk back from. Meekness is something you want as a Christian and as a man. Meekness is something that gives you strength. Meekness is something that gives you hope. Meekness is something that Jesus is doing in you so you can live in this life and so you can raise your hallelujahs, you can shout, you can do whatever it takes, whatever God has called to you, walk in a manner worthy. Meekness allows you to do that. Meekness allows you to understand the victory. Meekness allows you to see Jesus on his throne. Meekness allows you to know that nobody can take you out of their place in your way. Meekness allows you to know the one Christ. And listen, you have such a familiarity with him. And it all comes in meekness. That's why Paul puts this at front. It begins with humility. And these two words. Oh, doggone, it's meekness that gives you everything that you want as a Christian, okay? I'll get to that in a couple hours. You don't even laugh at that anymore. (laughs) I promise this is going to be the shortest sermon you've ever heard me preach. Who we are as a church, what I want to talk about is creating Christian culture and victorious Christian living, and I believe to do that is to understand meekness, To understand what Christ has won on our behalf. It's what made Christ victorious here. And meekness, very simply, is just understanding God's plan. Verses 10 and 11, we read from chapter 1. Understanding the magnanimity or the the size of that plan. Ephesians 3.10, that all of creation marvels at what God's doing in the church. And that you're that church. When we put all that together, you're going to see... That you've got something more than you ever planned that you have. But it begins with humility. We are those people, we the church are those people who have been humbled by the mighty hand of God. It's salvation. And in our humility, those who have taken on meekness and flourish with victorious Christian living. And in our meekness, those who will by victorious Christian living conquer the world. Conquer the world! All right, you don't get it yet. We'll keep going. That's what Scripture says. That's not what Tim Ramer says. The way down is the way up. We're humbled by the mighty hand of God and thank God that we are. The apostle necessarily goes to the ethical characteristic of humility first. This is first and the most important ethic that we need to understand, that you need to be able to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, in the way that you've been called. Not only is it the most necessary but it is the one that which the others flow from. Humility is a foundational ethical characteristic of the believer. Therefore, humility is the foundational ethical characteristic of the church. And you can just right now equate true humility with salvation. It's the same thing. Because true humility is understanding who you are and how you are. And understanding you are held in contrast with who, get it, who god is and how god is so man has fallen from his created state into sin and in that sin he is at enmity with god enmity with god that means that there is no neutral state for human beings you've heard me say this over and over and i will be will be the resounding it is the biggest lie of satan today that you can choose not to be a christian and not be religious but in that choice you become religious do you understand that There is no such thing as secular. They may have taken Christianity out of our schools and out of our government, but they've just replaced it with another religion. There is no neutral. Men are either under the blood of Jesus Christ and reconciled to God, or they're at enmity with God, actively opposed to the God of heaven. That's what that means, actively opposed. Further, man will not and does not seek God without God's intervention in man's life, that's what grace is. In fact, that's the exact uh, definition of what mercy is. Do you know that you didn't seek God? God sought you. God changed your heart so that you could follow Him. God changed your heart to make you love Scripture. God gave you a, a deep desire for the spiritually nourishing things in your life. And praise God that He did that. This is, so this becomes a necessary first step in the life of the believer and the believer's life in the church, and for unity within the family of God. That is humility. This is who we are. We are those who have been humbled because in the gospel, God gave us the word of truth, the salvation of our souls. In the gospel, we understood the holiness of God and the grievousness of our sins. And in the gospel, we received his glorious grace to be able to respond in faith and to repent of those sins and to be regenerated in our hearts by the powerful working God. Of the Holy Spirit. And it was then and only then we turned from sin to love God and to obey God and to serve God and be adopted by God into the family of God and to live or walk for God. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead and our trespasses is in, made us alive together with Christ. Yes, humility allows us to love others. It allows us to be patient with others. It allows us to overlook their faults. And humility allows us to forgive sin because this is reciprocity. It's built into everything that the Lord is doing in us. We practice this on each other. It's called the one another's of scripture because that's who we are. That's who we become. In our humiliation, in our understanding who we are, we understand that God has forgiven us and then we forgive others. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, just momentarily. If I don't hurry, it won't be the shortest. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Paul writes, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Oh, those are exalted words. God's chosen ones. God chose you. (laughs) You know, I hear by mistake this morning. Nothing, God does never waste your time. Do you know that? Nothing's a coincidence with God. You were chosen by God. You were brought to where you are at the very moment. God is sovereign over every event. Put on then as God's chosen ones. You were chosen. Holy and beloved. He made you holy and beloved in the blood blood of his son Jesus. Compassionate hearts. And this is what makes church unity work, isn't it? That we have now have compassionate hearts. We've been humbled to see the Holy God, to understand our sins, and we now have compassionate hearts. Kindness. You see it there? Humility. Meekness. And patience. Bearing with one another. Bearing. Walking with. Putting up with. I bear with my children. Right? I can't just put them in a headlock every time like I want to do. So I have my wife do it. No. (laughs) bearing with one another we bear with one another because we're all in a different place but we become patient and gentle why because god was patient and gentle with us first and we can do that with others we bear with one another and if one has a complaint against another oh my goodness this was hard for your pastor to learn he's still learning it forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you there's the reciprocity i was talking about it's also in the lord's prayer right our father who art in heaven. Where's my Catholics this morning? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's humility, isn't it? Because if God forgives in the manner that I'm forgiving others, yeah, it's a good thing his meekness and humility is greater than mine. Right? He says here, verse 13, do you see it? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's a reciprocity that's built into the Lord's work. But this ethic, this humbling, has only grown it, it doesn't stop there. Once you've truly realized who you are, something else becomes from this, and it's called meekness. And it's a unique ethical characteristic that Jesus possessed. It's absolutely unique, and I want to begin to explain meekness this morning, and I want to see it from a perspective of how Jesus could have lived the life he did because it gives you a perspective of how you can live a life here. So turn with me briefly to Psalms 37. Psalms chapter 37. We're going to begin in verse 1. And what I'm going to explain to you here is that the believer can be gentle and patient and loving and long-suffering because he or she possesses a renewed understanding that leads to victorious Christian living. What is that renewed understanding? That's what I want you to know this morning. Very simply, it's this, and I don't have it written out as a proposition this morning, but it's understanding that God's completely in control and no matter what comes your way, you know, I'm, I'm, I see within me somebody's sister who died this week, a leukemia patient. I've got a, mom, a wife here who has a husband who's just been diagnosed with cancer. I was at Planned Parenthood yesterday. I, you know, it's in the Gayberhood of Philadelphia. It's understanding that no matter what comes your way, what comes into your life, that the Lord is going to work it out to your good. That every moment, every little detail that he has power over it that there will be no defeat in your life that you can live that you can live with confidence through every part of it knowing that god is doing something to strengthen you something that is good for you even if it seems bad from a human perspective god is working it out to your good that's how jesus walked every day every person he met he could be completely honest with them and tell them the truth He could could challenge them on their sins, but he could love them in their sins because he was a meek man and understood that his father in heaven had every victory planned and it was as good as done. It's the ability to look at our culture and see it from a spiritual perspective and not a human perspective. Because so many times we get defeated because we can't We can't overcome the evil. We can't overcome the cancer. We can't overcome the death. But Jesus did, and He does, and He is doing that for each one of you believers right this very moment. Don't ever forget that. So look at Psalms 37. Because this is the song. I don't know why I haven't memorized this yet. I've prayed this so many times. Because I get fearful and fretting. I go, oh, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about this? Stop and think, God is working it out for your good. It's not going to hurt me ultimately. It's going to make me better. It's going to give me more strength. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. We get to stop right there. We all fret about the evil in the world. Stop it. God knows exactly what's going on. Go out and love somebody. Challenge them in their sin. Be a Christian. Re- live your life in virtuous Christian living right here in the midst of of the death and depravity of this culture and watch things happen God will empower you when you do I, I'm never more strengthened when I preach when I'm at Planned Parenthood when I'm, when I'm witnessing to somebody right Every day, and listen you don't have to be a preacher to do that every little thing in your life that God has brought you to you may be a mom changing a diaper you may be a tax accountant doing somebody's taxes all of it is exactly what God would have you do for building his kingdom. Of David, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like grass and wither like the green herb. The, uh, Jesus looked at his captors and his persecutors, knowing the outcome of their life. That's meekness, beloved. When you can see what God's doing in the midst of all the evil around you and walk with your head up, knowing that victory is yours, that is what victorious Christian living is when you stand knowing that God's totally in control when everybody's wimping and worrying and sobbing all around you that is victorious Christian living trust in the Lord and do good you see even in the midst of enviousness of wrongdoers and the evil yes yes trust in the Lord and do good be meek Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. What did God say to Jeremiah? Look out for the city that you live in, right? I don't think Philadelphia is gone. I think that God's going to have a great revival someday, beloved. I don't think Pennsville's too far gone. The culture's too far gone. I think the gospel's going to win. I think Christ is on his throne right at this very moment. I think that he's got a big victory planned. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faith. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Do you believe these words? Here's where I want to be, verses 5 through 8. We Christians are those who commit your way to the Lord. We commit our way to the Lord, our living to the Lord. We are those who have been humbled, and we commit, and we trust in him, and we let him act on our behalf. Did God do that for Jesus? He's going to do it for each one of you. Did Jesus fail that day when he died on the cross? From a human perspective, it looked like the biggest failure in the world. But from a biblical and from a spiritual perspective, it was the biggest win ever. He brought salvation. Trust in God, and he'll act on your behalf. He will bring forth your what? You see it? He'll bring forth your righteousness as light and your justice as the noonday. You trust in that, God? Be still, and I'm telling you that's what meekness is. It's those who have committed their way. They're waiting for God to act. They understand that he's sovereign, that nothing comes their way without his knowledge, and that he's working it out for their good, and they are still before the Lord. They don't fret. They don't fight back. They don't fear. They don't worry. They know that God's got this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I would underline wait there. That's my biggest problem. Is the waiting. I want to get ahead of God, but God is doing something perfect in everything He's bringing to you. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way. That's not the way it's going to end up. And that's why we can be patient and gentle and forgiving and loving. And that starts in the house of the Lord. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. That we're that way in the house of the Lord, that we trust in God, that we have committed our way to God, that we're quiet and we wait for God to act and we do not fret over the circumstances we see. Let's put that into an illustration very quickly in Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Fourth book of the Bible. What you're going to see here is a picture of Christ. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman. i will give just a little bit of context here. Moses had been leading these people across the desert and the wilderness for some time now. And they were just a little bit tired of being in the wilderness and desert. And they had uh, kind of bucked his will, bucked his responsibility, bucked his authority the whole way. They were a difficult people. You don't have to take anything from that. They were just a difficult people, right? We can be a difficult people. We can kind of question authority. But when we're meek, we understand the ultimate authority is God's, right? And that God is working through this authority. So Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. Well, there must be something wrong with Moses. He's not quite pure. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses or Is there somebody else with a better word that might treat us more kindly? Has he not also spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it, verse 3, Now the man Moses, do you see what it said? The man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of the meeting. And the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of that tent. Here we have Moses and his accusers. And the Lord comes down, and he's going to vindicate Moses. Watch this. Aaron and Miriam in verse 6, And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him. In a vision I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly. And not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And he departed. You go on. You see it there in verse 11. And Aaron said to Moses, O oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly. They heard the, verse, the voice of the Lord. We have done foolishly and we have sinned. Verse 12. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away. And when he comes out of his mother's womb, and Moses cried to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed even seven days? What had happened is the Lord had punished Miriam by giving her leprosy for questioning Moses. Now, Moses, as a leader, could have fretted. Moses, as somebody following God, could have said, How am I going to deal with this evil? But he waited for the Lord. He waited for the Lord and he was vindicated in his word, and the Lord came down. And then what did Moses do as a good servant of the Lord? He didn't go, Ha, 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 it's on you. You're the one with leprosy, not me. He didn't do that. What did he do? But he turned back to the Lord. And he prayed for Miriam. And he prayed for Aaron that the Lord wouldn't strike them dead. That's what meekness is. Moses understood it was the Lord's battle. Moses understood that they were not questioning his authority, but God's authority. Moses understood that God would handle his battles on his behalf. And that is meekness, that we understand that. Moses understood. Now, just momentarily, go with me. Because there's something here in Matthew 5 I want you to see. Because when we understand meekness, and we grab a hold of it with everything we are, when we understand it to the point Jesus did, Matthew chapter 5, just turn with me there. I want you to see these words with your own eyes. Matthew chapter 5, top of the chapter. When we grab a hold of everything that Christ did, when we understand like Moses and like Jesus, remember Stephen? He had told the nation of Israel the truth and they were stoning him to death. Yet he never walked away from the truth. And the Lord touched him at that time and his face shone because of what they were doing to him. And his testimony shined in front of them like the sun because the Lord was going to vindicate his servant and walk on their half because he trusted in God because these men had committed their way to God and they were quiet before God they don't fret over the wicked because they know the Lord is in control they just live victoriously over everything in this world why? do you see it in verse 5 of chapter 5 of Matthew? why? because the meek inherit the earth How's that for a victory? The meek inherit the earth. I don't know what you thought you were going to get out of this. But this victory that you have living like this is no less than what you were heir to as a child of God. You understand that? You want joy in your life? Live with that victory. The meek shall inherit the earth. You think meekness means weakness? Nope. It's just the opposite. Meekness is the one characteristic that overflowed Jesus' life, that overflowed Moses' life. And when it overflows your life, the unity in this church and your Relationship and walk, the walk worthy that you're called to with God will explode in your life. One quick passage. Daniel chapter 7. We just touched on it in Sunday school this morning. Daniel chapter 7. If you get to Je- Jeremiah, keep going towards the New Testament. It's there, I promise. Daniel writes in verse 9 of chapter 7. How are you going to to inherit the world? Because your heavenly Father is king of the world. His dominion doesn't ever end. Verse 9, as I look, Daniel says, Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. That's God. His clothes were as white as snow, and the hairs of his head like pure wool. That's showing his holiness. His throne was fiery flames, that's his judgment. Daniel said it's like wheels were burning with fire all around. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and thousands upon thousands. That's the highest superlative, that's the highest um, number that we can get to in the Hebrew or the Greek, is just to repeat that. Thousands times thousands times thousands served him, and ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court, he sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Verse 11, Then I looked. Then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, the power, as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed, that is death and Satan and hell, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Then Daniel says these exalted words, I saw in these visions And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. That's Jesus Christ. He was born of a woman, right? He was fully God and fully man. There came one like the Son of Man, and he came to God on the throne, the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And listen to this. This is why we can trust in him. This is why the meek will inherit the earth. This is why those who have humbled themselves before the God of heaven will win victoriously in this life and can live victoriously in this life. And to him, verse 14, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It will never pass away. His kingdom is one that will never, ever be destroyed. Beloved, you can preach the word, live the word like you're already there. It is won on your behalf. You can stand for the truth. You can expose the dark. You can train up your children in the way they should go. And God will reward you in that. You can take every thought captive. You can spread or stand against the dark by exposing it. It doesn't matter whether it's abortion or feminism or government, tyranny or wokeness or porn or or pride month, whatever it is. The victory is already won. Be like Paul. Don't be bullied into silence. Be like Daniel who stood in the lion's den knowing meekly that his victory was to come. Because if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. Just expect it, but love them back. The grave is empty, but the throne, beloved, is occupied this morning. And you have victory over everything you see. We serve a powerful king so you can be fearless and you can be faithful. You can't lose, beloved. You cannot lose. And so every young man that's here today, go, do, be, build, love, have children, have five children, have seven children, be fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue the earth because that is what is yours in Christ Jesus. Amen? And it starts with you being humble before him in the gospel. Oh, but that's when the gifts start to come. Be reconciled to God today. Gracious Heavenly Father. As we come to a close this day. I praise you. I praise you because of the wisdom and what you're doing in your church. I praise you because the meek will inherit the earth. And the meek are those who wait on you, who believe in you, who trust in you, who have placed all of their trust in their life in your hands and they will not be disappointed father this is a possession for now let us live victoriously in this place let us understand that you're creating christian culture in our midst you saved us by the blood of your son and you're building life in each one of us so that we can speak truth we can love we can be patient and what we see in this life you've already overcome thank you for the hope we have in that thank you for the hope we have in Jesus it's in his name we pray amen if our men we're going to will come uh,